Thank you for joining me for another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I am joined by John Wilker. Hey, John, how's it going? Good, Leo. Thanks for having me. I'm John Wilker. I organize 360 conferences, uh, events. Uh, everyone listening here probably knows me as the organizer of 360 iDev. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really glad to have you on. We have a really special episode this week. We get to talk about conferences and specifically the just announced WWDC. So I'm excited about that. How has it been running a conference in the uh, in this post-COVID world? It, yeah, it's not post-COVID enough, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I went into this year kind of thinking it would be way more cut and dry, and it's proven to be anything but. Uh, last year was super cut and dry, at least as we got going. Like I kind of hemmed and hawed because you know none of us knew exactly how bad things were going to get. But then once it was clear, it was very straightforward, like, oh, yeah, we're online because there's just no other option. But this year, it's the opposite. Yeah, I, I, 360i Dev is going to be kind of a mix, a hybrid event, which I've never done before. So it should be interesting. My other events this year are all online. One, because I didn't want to tackle too many hybrid things as I didn't know what that would entail. And then two, for the most part, I kind of, the sense is, you know, most people still aren't comfortable traveling. Right. So yeah, I, I wanted to at least ease those those burdens on two out of the three of my events. So yeah, it, it's uh, been interesting planning. So what has been the other conferences you're hosting this year? So I host two others. Um, they're both in the Android space, uh, 360 AMDEV, which is here in Denver in July. And then I also organize Chicago Roboto, which when not in the pandemic actually takes place in Chicago, but now also takes place you know, based out of my home office in Denver. Yeah. And so those are the other two that I organize both now and dev is, this will be the fifth year for that one. And I think it's the fourth year for Chicago. What's been your biggest challenge as far as setting up a conference like with COVID? Like, is it the arranging all the services you need for the online conference or just getting people to sign up or what exactly? Mostly getting people to sign up. It turns out like if there's a way to do it that felt as cool as in person, the online events actually were fairly fun last year. One, I didn't have to get up nearly as early as I do <laughs> while it's, you know, while we're on site. Yeah. Um, I got up, I worked out, I rolled into my office with my cup of coffee and sat down here and off we went. So thankfully the platforms for online are are getting better and better. Even the one we used last year which was only kind of so-so in my opinion. This year, I've attended a few of like their in-house, like here's what we're doing. And they've really upped that that hop-in platform quite a bit. But yeah, the hardest part was getting people to sign up and attend. I think last year it was just the unknowns of what was going on. And so people were hesitant to commit. And then by the summer, we were already kind of feeling that Zoom fatigue of, oh God, I don't know if I want to spend four days sitting on Zoom for you know five or six hours a day. And then this year, I think it's sort of the similar thing. I think we've kind of, I mean, Zoom fatigue is still definitely lurking there because we've still all been working from home for the most part and doing all this. But now I think too, there's a little bit of maybe some optimism of like, well, do I sign up for this online event? And maybe later in the year, someone will do an in-person one. So I think there's a little bit of that as well now. Yeah, that makes total sense. What are some recommendations you have as far as speaking at a conference and like encouraging people to do that? I should have totally pulled this up. So while I answer, I'll look for an an awesome quote. So for one of my events for 360 and Dev, my co-chair and I 
kind of, we haven't done it in, in two years now, we would do like a, a CFP Q&A to just kind of answer people's general questions on how to submit, especially first timers and things like that. And um, one of the things someone went back and they're all on YouTube, so people can go back and rewatch them. So one of the nice things that that we had said kind of is a, you know, just throw away at the time, but he quoted it was, you know, your perspective has value simply because it's unique. You don't need to do something groundbreaking to be a speaker. You don't have to be the world's foremost core data or Swift UI expert. It's really just a matter of what are you excited to talk to other people about? And inevitably, you know something someone else doesn't. Maybe it's some trick you picked up or something. And so you're sharing even that will help someone down the road to be like, oh, that's right. Leo mentioned this keyboard shortcut and boom, they're using it down the road and it was valuable. I think like actually it might be a hindrance if you're an expert because you're like, <laughs> you're at a level that's like so high, like most people don't understand the complexities of the subject. This so is true. I, would, yeah. I would almost be careful, uh, like it was a warning to people who are experts is like, be careful and have like a good narrative and step back and like do the kind of ELI five thing where you like explain to someone if there are five instead of trying to like go rocket science with it. Like some of the best presenters that you've had at the conference are like that good mix up of somebody who's a real expert in the field, but know how to talk to a layman when it comes to that subject. True. Which, yeah, as you say, like, yeah, once someone gets to kind of that expert level, a lot of times maybe their public speaking isn't necessarily the world's best. Right. Right. So yeah, then they're delivering this amazing content. That's way above everyone's head, but <laughs> important to know, but in such a manner that no one really is leaving going, I'm going to remember all of this. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, for sure. well, before I jump to the next subject, was there anything else you wanted to talk about when it comes to conferences? Um, just on the submitting front, you know, don't, don't be shy. Um, all of my events is, are, we really encourage new folks to come to the stage and try their hand at submitting. We're very informative. If we have to, you know, turn you down, we'll give feedback where we can. And, you know, and, and if it's not for you, or even if someone has submitted, encourage someone else. Like there's so many people that we all know and work with that are just in their own head of like, I can't speak. I don't know what I'm doing, or I'm not, you know, advanced enough, or I've only been doing this a year. I can't possibly be a speaker. Help us get those folks onto the stage. Cause I think that's the way that we grow the community is by encouraging new folks to kind of share what they know. What if you have a few ideas of what you want to talk about, but you're not sure which one is the right one? Could you submit multiple CFPs? Absolutely. Yeah. We, um, more the merrier. I usually, I think I even put it in the CFP page now. Like the biggest risk in that case is I might like two of your talks. And so I might try <laughs> to convince you to, to do two. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's the downside is I might, in, I might like more than one. I limit it to two. I don't try and overburden anyone with like, you submitted five and four were great. Can you do four? But yeah, submit as many as you have. And, and worst case too, feel free to reach out and we can kind of go back and forth on which one you're more passionate about or f- tweaking and fine tuning and making adjustments. So yeah, we try and keep it as like open and informative as possible for everybody. Yeah, I encourage a lot of folks to get out there and you know try try your hand, maybe practice going to a local Cocoa Heads. Well, absolutely. Go. Go with quotation marks. <laughs> Zoom to your local cocoa heads and practice your talk. 
Or even uh, I encourage people, if you have a great topic you want to practice, I would love to have you on the show to talk about oh, that yeah. too. So yeah, please reach out, let us know, because I think it's a great, great experience for folks. Hey folks, I wanted to let you know about a sponsor of our show, Revenue Cat. If you're doing anything with in-app purchases or subscriptions, you'll definitely want to check them out. Using Revenue Cat to power your in-app purchase infrastructure solves for edge cases that you don't even know you have. It also protects you from outages your team hasn't even seen yet, and it saves you time on future maintenance and features released by the app stores. Plus, it empowers your product and marketing teams with clean, reliable in-app purchase data so they can make better decisions to grow your app. All that is to say, Revenue Cat handles all the headaches of in-app purchases so you can get back to building your app. I highly recommend you check Revenue Cat out at revenuecat.com. Give it a try and see how it can empower your product and help it continue to grow. Thank you, Revenue Cat, for sponsoring our show. So I want to talk about WWDC. We got WWDC this year. Yes. I'll let you start. What's on your wish list for WWDC 2021? So I'll approach this from a non-programmer standpoint because I haven't written code in, well, now it's been a long enough time that I don't need to put years to it. But um, <laughs> I do, I love WWDC. It's obviously, you know, the content wise is, is not necessarily targeted to me, but I'm definitely hoping for some improvements or, you know, enhancements to tvOS. It's my, I've had an Apple TV since like, when it stopped looking like a time machine, you know, and uh, it's like our go-to platform. Like we don't have a Roku or anything else at the house. We don't have cable. Like it's everything is our Apple TV and what plugs into that. So yeah, the, I don't have any specific things I would like to see other than just new and, you know, maybe better experience with it. I wouldn't mind if they offered like a plug-in architecture or something for non, like I use Plex. And so mm-hmm. they've started that a little bit of it, but like, you know, I can't ask Siri for stuff and have her dig into Plex through the app to get content, right. which obviously is a, that's a whole lot of work. You know, it's not just a simple thing, but that would be Wasn't there sweet. like a recent post about Plex? Because Plex started doing the thing. So Plex is more focused on like local sharing of your video library. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I have Plex. I love it. I have a 13 terabyte hard drive with all nice. my old movies on it. So no, I totally get it. And I think like what I had heard is they started their own like streaming service more or less. And like mm. they were able to get Siri plugged into that, but like the security and privacy issue of getting like the local yeah. videos working was too much of a headache for them from what I had read. Which makes sense. I mean, I get it. Even from like within Apple's ecosystem, I used to use I have a, my Plex is running off of a mini with a Drobo. Okay. And even running like the Apple TV couldn't inspect into iTunes on the mini to, to find stuff. So yeah, I would imagine a whole separate application not written by Apple would be even more problematic for sure. Right. I have a home theater PC that I built. I have, which is currently taken down for some dusting and upgrading and stuff. So I decided actually to buy a, an Apple TV online, like a used one. And so I bought like a $100 cheapo. Is it fourth, fourth generation is when they started the app store. Right. I think. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is like my first, I've only been using the Apple TV for, for about a week and I know they've been. Out oh, cool. 
So it's like my, my first experience with it. Oh, one other thing is I bought it without the remote because a, I didn't feel like I needed one and I've never heard anything good about the remote. So I wanted to save 50 bucks and not buy the remote. So yeah, I've heard the I remote is pretty bad. It's not the best. Okay. Okay, good. So I end up just using my iPhone, right? Or my wife will use her iPhone. Perfect. Yeah. And it's not bad. It's a, it's fine. It's cool that you can do a lot of apps on it and it's definitely like quick and there's, I like the integration with iOS and a lot of the Apple services, Mm. but I could definitely, if it wasn't, if I wasn't buying a used one at a reasonable price, I don't think I would ever feel the desire to like purchase one. Otherwise I just needed like a backup home, home theater, like device in case the computer is ever down like it is right now. So it's like, yeah, it's great for that. And it hooks up. Oh, the, actually the one service I really like that I haven't been able to figure out how to use outside of the Apple TV that I'm really taking advantage of is fitness plus because uh, you can't, you can't do fitness plus unless it's on an Apple device. I couldn't yeah. even do like, I couldn't even hook up my iPad to the TV to get it working. So I've been using that off and on quite a bit. Nice. Yeah. That I haven't played with it, but that would be, and it, right now it requires an Apple Watch as well, right? Yes. Doesn't yeah. It? yeah. Yeah. I'll wait for an Apple Watch part, but I don't have an Apple Watch. So I, I'm hoping eventually Fitness Plus can go, like, doesn't have to tie into the to the metrics that the Apple Watch sends. Because I would love to just watch the Fitness Plus, like, do the classes. Oh, interesting. Okay. But I don't have an Apple Watch, so I can't do that part of it, which I know they're... Right now, yeah, I, I feel like their big selling point with Fitness Plus is being able to see the rings while you work out. Uh, yeah, I suspect. Um, so that's pro. I don't. I can't imagine that's big on their list of things to. Plus, it probably helps sell Apple watches, <laughs> right? Which I think is part of it too. That and the Apple Apple services. So yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. Like, actually, that's one thing I'd like to see is with Fitness Plus multi-user experience because it only works with one user. So if you have more than one person at home working out, like there's no integration with that. So Oh, interesting. Yeah, that would definitely be helpful. Yeah. So let's jump into Apple Watch. So what would it take for you to be convinced to buy one? Let's let's go from that standpoint. So I did have one. I had the generation, I guess it was because they start they named them like the first one was like generation zero, right? Isn't that basically? Yeah. So I had the generation one, I think. Okay. Which, you know, wasn't horrible, but, you know, apps on it weren't awesome. And it was kind of, but I didn't hardly use any apps. So right, I really liked it as a fitness band that I absolutely, and so I've, re- I've not recently, it's been now a few years, but got rid of it mostly because like, I, I just like watch watches and the variation I get, like I have a watch box upstairs with like 18 watches of various styles and types and whatnot. But the thing, but I miss about the Apple Watch is all the health stuff. Like I never cared about Apple Watch apps per se, didn't care about swapping out faces, any of that. But like as a fitness band, which I have like this Huawei band off Amazon that was, you know, okay. $22 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The band was awesome. Like I loved the rings. I loved the the, the fitness app in the Apple Watch was great. Right. Like, all of that was super cool. If Apple would make... And I know they won't because they're making a mint on watches, but if they made a band or just a tiny watch, <laughs> like I thought about getting like the smaller form factor watch, yeah. and just wearing it on my other hand as a, as a fitness band. Oh yeah. But, I've heard of that, before. but still a little bit big for that purpose. 
right. and pricey for that purpose. So you want like a watch without a screen that just tracks your health. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I never care. Like I never did, never took a call on my watch, never, never did anything. And, you know, I, and it's better now with the always on action. But, you know, I'd go to look at the time and I'm like, oh, crap, it didn't, you know, oh, yeah, flop it oh, about yeah. to get the screen to wake. And that thankfully is gone. But yeah, no, I just I don't need the, the face part of it. I just I just want to be like, you know, start a run, go for a run and and do it. And then when I get home, put on my Seiko or Hamilton or whatever watch I want to wear that day. Yeah, you're you're like, I'm not a watch person, but I understand how a watch person would have a hard time wanting to buy an Apple watch. And it's interesting, your, your solution being like, well, why don't we just have health tracking and then not the display? And then everything is basically through your iPhone to see stats and things. Yeah. So that's a really, that's a really interesting perspective. Like, and, and that's like one of my biggest gripes with the Apple watch is it tries some of the, the watch faces like don't, they're not interesting to me. Cause when I want to look at my Apple watch, I want data. I don't want to see right. face or Mickey mouse or buzz Lightyear, or even like the photos, like the photo face. Like I'd love that, but then it's just a photo with the time and it's like, right. Yeah. I want these, like, I want a lot of information on there. And I also think like, I've heard this before, but like the analog faces just don't like, I can read time analog, I guess, but like, I don't want it taking up the whole screen and taking like just even like like, small amount of time. It takes me to figure out what time it is based on an analog watch. It's like not worth it to me, even though it looks nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The trick with time on analog watches is you just generalize. Like right. you yeah, raise your arm totally with the fine. digital and you're like, it's 1024. Right. Whereas like with an analog, you're just like, yeah, 1020. <laughs> right, 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 right. And like, um, like I pretty much use the info modular. Like that's pretty much the only face I use. Cause it has everything on there that I want to see. And I'm almost like, man, I want to add this. I want to add that too. So I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I even, and then I even wish like, yeah, could I just get rid of the time complicate, like the time component and just fill it with complications. Like that's, yeah. that's all I want. Or I either want lots of complications and no time, and then it could be a good fitness band. Or like you say, no display, no nothing, and just, or a you know tiny display that shows steps or whatever. Yeah, that makes total sense. And then just have it on another wrist. Yeah, yeah. Right. I did. I did do the double wrist thing prior to getting rid of my Apple Watch just to see if I could make that work. What was the biggest hangup? The biggest hangup was one. It was just big. Um, okay. you know, so basically it was very obvious I was wearing two watches, which is just a very weird aesthetic to right. be out in public and be sporting two full-size watches. And then the other hangup, which it sounds like the newer watches are a little bit better at this, but still not perfect. is like, you know, I wear my band when I sleep because I'm curious on my sleep habits. Right. And I never got, I never perfected the Apple watch charging dance. Mm. Like I know David okay. Smith had this like blog post about like, you know, wear it to bed, but then when you shower, charge it for the five minutes that you're showering and then charge it during lunch for 25 minutes. Like, and I'd used to just always having it on my wrist. And so I'd be like, ah, now it's dead. And then I'd have to, to charge it up. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Hey folks, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by app figures. Did you know that better writings have a direct impact on improving your app's visibility and on driving downloads? Stronger ratings signal that an app has happy users. While there are other factors, app stores tend to float these results higher in search results. As more users find your app, 
they are also far more likely to download it when they see social proof. Learn when to ask for ratings, as well as other tips and best practices by signing up for AppFigure's weekly newsletter at appfigures.com slash newsletter. If you like what you see, head to appfigures.com to try AppFigures for free. Listeners of the show can get 30% off for the next three months. That's for both new and existing users using the code EMPOWER3030. Again, if you like what you see, both new and existing users can use our special code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. If you're an app developer and you want to reach that audience, you'll definitely want to check AppFigures out. Thank you, AppFigures, for sponsoring this show. So moving on from the Apple Watch, iOS 15, what's been your biggest issues, first of all, with iOS 14? What kind of phone do you have, first of all? Let's answer that question. I am still using a 10R. Okay. Mostly because as much as I like iPhones and I used to do the every year upgrade cycle or, well, usually every other year upgrade cycle. But more and more now, like the last handful of cycles, it was like, it's a great phone. We've, you know, it's faster and da da da, but the camera's amazing. I'm like, that's great, but I don't have kids. Lately, we're not traveling anywhere. I don't have anything to take pictures of. So I don't care to have the super mega multi barrel camera action on a phone as much. Um, So I just held off. But I I have not had too many issues with iOS 14. I, I like widgets. I've gotten more comfortable adding widgets to my home screen. I actually kind of look forward to seeing if that we can get more out of those. I'd love to interact with the widget instead of opening the app. Like I mm. use streaks for habit forming. Yep. Yep. And I'd love it if the widget that shows the little rings, if I could actually just close them from the widget without having to basically tap widget, open app. Yep. Yep. Do the, do the thing. So yeah. I, and I, this is the first year that I haven't actually installed the beta. So I haven't even played with 15 to know. What's going on? So I get to actually be pleasantly surprised during DubDub when stuff gets announced and re- or you know shown off. Like I've not looked at anything or played with it. Yeah. Well, fifteen will be out in June when DubDub DC the beta will. Oh, that's true. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was thinking fifth, fourteen, whatever. Five. It's currently on. Yeah, beta ninety two or whatever. Right. <laughs> It's true, though, that they're really getting high in these beta numbers recently. Like last year, it was, what, 13.7? Yeah. Um, it's pretty crazy. Which I guess is good, but yeah, it's certainly you're like, okay, what is happening here? Why are there so many? Yeah. So do you use an iPad? I do. Um, I'm most excited about changes or improvements to, to iPad OS and, and the platform. I have an iPad Pro 10-inch. I can never remember. I wish Apple would pick a naming structure. That was less involving between the two sizes. Yeah. The two sizes. And like, you know, it's always just iPad and then there's a year attached. And I'm like, I don't know when I bought this thing. And if I didn't buy it the year you released it, that doesn't matter. Um, So I think I have the 2018. I I basically, I have the pro they released after the big pro. Okay. So yeah, I, I think that's like 2018 and I love it. So I don't own a laptop anymore. I just have a mini for sitting in my office and then I have a pro with the keyboard And like, that's my go-to, like I write my books predominantly on that. We'll see how running a conference goes on it. I haven't had to do it yet since the, with the pandemic and I didn't get rid of my MacBook air until we were into the pandemic, but yeah, that's like my go-to machine. So the more they can do to like boost up the, the app, the iPad, especially the pro all the better. And like, 
more multitasking features would be nice. Like I use Scrivener for writing and most of this is not Apple's issue, but they have not leveraged anything about iPad OS. Like it's basically just an iPad, an iOS app, you know, laid out for the iPad. So it doesn't do multitasking. Um, it still tends to close down once I open up two other apps. And so when I open it, it has to reload and, and do all that. Yeah. More resources I think would probably go a long way into making the iPad pro even more of a laptop negator. One thing that I've, I've mentioned before is like whether the issue with the iPad is more of a business issue and that it's mostly thought of as a consumption device and like developers for financial reason, haven't invested a lot of time in like building really robust apps on the iPad, even though it's possible. Like, it seems like it's more of an app store issue than it is actually a hardware issue. If that makes sense. Do you agree? I do wholeheartedly. And long before the pro came out, like I wrote a blog post where I even just kind of complained in general that, yeah, the iPad, I, Apple still even kind of treats it as just to sit in your bed and watch Netflix device. Which I'm sure is like 80%, but it's also like a chicken and egg problem too, to where like, like, well, that's because, I mean, it is, it is a great sit and read and watch Netflix device, <laughs> it, it, but it's it also is. Absolutely. like, but it's also like, it could be so much more. Yeah. And it's been difficult trying to figure out both. I think the app store thing is definitely the biggest part of it, but also like the user interface aspect of it. And now that we've had added mouse support, you know, it's becoming a little bit more, more tangible to use for more rapid. Yeah. It definitely feels like it's like on the cusp because yeah, like adding the mouse and trackpad and you know, the smart or magic keyboard. Yeah. Like that was kind of a game changer. Like I already was writing on it using the previous, you know, various, you know, cases with keyboards and whatnot. Yeah. And there was just that whole feeling of like, you know, you're typing and then you're reaching up and touching the screen to do things. And now it just feels like a laptop, but yeah, it's still just kind of on that cusp. Cause it's like, it does an adequate job of those things for sure. But yeah, you just kind of are left feeling like, I feel like this could do more. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard problem. Certainly it is. Well, do you have Apple pencil? Yes. What do you use that for? Mostly. So the thing that initially kind of turned my iPad, even before I had the pro into kind of my like go-to device is there's a note taking app called good notes. Okay. So I used to always have a Moleskine with me at all times with a pen stuck on it. And just cause I'm a, if I'm having a conversation with someone, I'm writing notes, even if the notes are just me and the person's name and then two lines and then we don't, there's nothing left to write. Yeah. And so like I would go through those and then, you know, I'd have on my bookshelf in my office, you know, these Moleskines with like start date and end date on them. Oh, nice. What was in them. Um, but now with good notes and the Apple pencil, like I don't have the Moleskines anymore. I can just create a good notes file called, you know, conference notes, writing that like I can have multiple basically notebooks and yeah, I fire it up and just start taking notes. And so it's kind of, I I don't have a paper notebook anymore. I can just fire that up. And so, yeah, like the first, when they released the original Apple pencil, like I snatched it up and like had good notes ready to go. And like, yeah, I haven't stopped having that as like between the, like the writing is a more recent primary use case. Note taking was my primary use case. The moment the Apple pencil came out. Now, do you have, besides the Mac mini, do you have another Mac that you use? Nope. Not anymore. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask, what would you like to know? Like, would you like to see the next version of Mac OS? But if you don't use Mac, it's hard to say, right? 
Yeah. I mean, I had a MacBook Air and I kind of just rage quit on it. So it was the one they released prior to the M1 ones. Yeah. And I bought it 20, end of 2019. Okay. And it was the one, you know, it had the butterfly keyboard and it was a great device. Like I, it was my, you know, it was light so I could carry it everywhere. Um, but the keyboard was absolute trash. Yeah. And within a year it was, I couldn't type on it without it either missing a key or adding extra keys. And I took it to the genius bar. And of course they're like, well, you know, we can certainly replace it with the exact same thing you already have, <laughs> but you should wait because it also includes a battery replacement. And so you should wait till the like last day of the program. So that you get a new battery, which I'm like, Oh, I can't fault that logic. Like might as well. But I mean, the guy basically like gave, like showed me these like photo lens brushes that like photographers use to take care of their fancy DSLRs. Okay. He just kind of like jammed them sideways into the keys to dislodge the gunk that it gets under them. He's like, this will just buy you time. Basically. He's like, do this once in a while. I'm like, this laptop was like $2,000. I feel like I shouldn't have to be like <laughs> dusting under the keys. And then the kind of the final thread was when I had to move the conferences to online Mm-hmm. I didn't know if the mini or the air would be up to the task of streaming hop in slash zoom. Right. Oh yeah. All day long. So that was kind of, that was the precipitous action. Like then I was like, I just need something with a little bit more horsepower, better cooling. So I ponied up and, and moved to the mini. And then since I had the iPad, I was like, you know, I don't really need to keep this air. Like, right. The, you know, I can do everything that basically I want on it. Do you do like share screen to connect to the mini? Yeah. So like, okay. I like the end of the day, you know, I'll go into the living room and watch TV and write or, you know, just do whatever on my iPad. And yeah, if I need to do anything that the iPad can't, I'll, the mini is still just running in the office. So yeah, I just hop into it. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I'm in the opposite boat. Cause I used to have an iPad pro 20, uh, 12.9 inch. Mm. Uh, and I really liked it. And then with COVID, like I wasn't doing a lot of portable work. I wasn't going anywhere and I was barely using the thing. And I had this, re- oh, I still have this really crappy 2015 MacBook Pro. And I never decided to upgrade it because the keyboard sucked. And then I sold the iPad Pro because I just wasn't using it. And I felt bad like having this really awesome iPad that I wasn't using because I wasn't going anywhere. And then they came out with the M1s and I was like, well, that's it. Like now I can buy a new laptop. Yeah. So I bought the MacBook Air and that's like been my, so, you know, I'm on here on my iMac, uh, which I use probably 60% of the time. But then when I want to sit down, I'll use my new MacBook Pro or excuse me, MacBook Air. Uh, and I love it. It's awesome. And I like Big Sur. It's been fantastic experience. Yeah. I haven't so, done Big Sur yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from because I loved working with the iPad Pro. It was a great experience. It was just like I wasn't going anywhere. I wasn't using it. And it's <laughs> like, why am I keeping this thing around? I just have a regular uh, whatever. Like you said, I don't I don't even know what generation regular iPad it is. But I use that on occasion. I'll use that with Sidecar and like that's fun. Oh, yeah. The kids play around with it. So, yeah. Well, I think that pretty much covers what we wanted to talk about with WWDC. Was there anything else you wanted to mention? No, I definitely will be excited to to watch the keynotes and excited to see everybody's reactions. Yeah, agreed. And I think in a future episode, we'll talk more about the development side of things because I'm excited about what comes out with Swift and Swift UI and Combine and the Sync and Await and all that stuff. So we'll definitely be talking about that in the next episode. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. 
My pleasure. It's been a blast. What if somebody wanted to attend a 360 iDev? Uh, how can they do that? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, the website is 360idev.com, 360idev. And tickets are basically on sale for whichever option you're comfortable with, whether it's you know just attending from your, your home office, living room, online, or you know joining us in Denver for the in-person experience. And for listeners, there's a discount code that's good for 25% off and it's uh, Empower App. Or Empower Apps. Sorry, I think it was, I made it plural, right? Yeah, Empower yep. Apps. Um, and that's, like I said, 25% off. That's good for either ticket online or in person. I'm looking forward to, even in a much smaller capacity, getting able to see everybody again. It'll be interesting. It'll be a fun experiment to do the the hybrid. I think online last year worked pretty well. Like it's, yeah, it was fantastic. enjoyed it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, it, and so, and my goal is to basically just recreate what we did last year but not from my home office, from inside the Grand Hyatt. So, you know, me and and probably, you know, a few other people will still be emceeing the entire thing for the online side, plus representing the online people, because that's probably the biggest issue is, you know, at the end of a talk, okay, are there any questions? Now the speaker is up at a podium, they can't look at online. And so like, we'll be representing the online folks to be like, you know, Leo, you know, from online has a question and that kind of thing. So yeah, I think it's gonna be fun. Uh, I think it'll be a good way to like ease everybody back into being in crowds with a you know a much smaller experience and giving it a shot before I suspect 2022 is basically the floodgates kind of open and we're all back to doing stuff. So I think it'll be I fun. So I hope so. Thank you so much and really gracious of you to offer our audience a discount code. So thank you for that. My pleasure. Absolutely. Where can people find you online? At Twitter, I am Jay Wilker. Uh, my website is johnwilker.com, which is predominantly just my uh, my writing and, and things like that. Like I said, 360idev.com is the website for the, the conference. And um, on Instagram, I'm John T. Wilker, because someone already had Jay Wilker. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. People can find me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion. My company is Bright Digit. Let us know if you have any questions, comments, and please take some time to post a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, wherever you're listening. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you again. Bye.